are in a message series called What on Earth Am I Here For? I invite you to turn and uh, take out your notes that are in the uh, bulletin today. Uh, we're looking today at the third purpose of why God has put us on this earth, uh, which is to become uh, like Jesus. So far we've uh, been talking about the first uh, two purposes and you've been reading along uh, about that. We uh, were created for God's pleasure. We found out about um, that uh, God uh, takes pleasure in us and enjoys uh, us and we should be doing things for his pleasure. We call that worship. Uh, last week we talked about being formed for God's family and how we're made for community and made for relationship and for intimacy. And we've been learning about koinonia and uh, what that's all about. This week we're going to talk about becoming like Jesus. So um, there's always things you need to do to help people remember things. And so what I want to do today is uh, play something that we haven't uh, maybe played for a long time. Uh, when uh, you were children, I assume you played a game called Simon Says. If you didn't, it's, uh, it's very simple. The person at the, at the front leading the, the group uh, says something, I'm Simon, so I'll be Simon today, and I say, uh, Simon says, do something, and you're supposed to do that. And uh, as long as you, Simon says to do it, and you do it, then you're good. But if Simon doesn't say it, and uh, I just say, you know, scratch your head, and I, it wasn't Simon that said it, then you would be out of the game. So it's very simple to follow along today. You can just do it where you're, you're sitting. So uh, let's start. Simon says, scratch your head. Uh, Simon says, uh, rub your left arm. Simon says, rub your right arm. Slap yourself in the face. <laughs> Nobody did it, see? That was, that was too easy, right? Simon Says is an imitation game. There's a movie by that title as well. Um, but um, what we're going to be talking today is about imitation um, and imitating Jesus. And what, uh, what, would Jesus, what would it mean to look like Jesus? Now, there is a whole program that kind of captivated and swept over people that had, uh, was, was featuring a wristband. You would buy a wristband, and it had four letters on it, uh, WWJD. And it comes out of a, a book that a guy wrote, um, I think in the 50s, uh, that kind of got lost for a while, and then people began to recover it, where he would just try to go through his life and ask this question, what would Jesus do? Um, that's what WWJD stands for, what would Jesus do? And that whole movement kind of caught on. The only problem with that is sometimes, a lot of times, it's very easy to figure out what Jesus wants us to do. It, it's very easy. But not always. And there's all kinds of situations where we can't quite figure out exactly what Jesus wants us to do. And so this led to all kinds of, of kind of people being conflicted about this idea of WWJD. Today we want to just explore that a little bit about what it means to, to be just like Jesus. What does that actually mean? And I want to kind of paint some pictures for you today about what that actually looks like and what that means uh, for our lives and how the people in Jesus' day would have understood that um, today. And I'm going to show you a little video clip that helps a little bit with that. This whole idea of becoming like Jesus really means uh, to try and understand who Jesus was, what he taught, uh, what he would do in, in situations, uh, what he would instruct us to do. And so it's got a lot to do with reading God's word, because if you can't figure out what Jesus, who Jesus was and actually how he lived, the first time when he was here on the earth, then how are you going to figure out what to do for yourself? So it has kind of an underpinning of understanding what's in God's word, uh, but it also means to figure out the principles that Jesus wants us to live our lives by and to apply them. So um, what would Jesus do? Um, Jesus didn't live in a snowy climate. He lived in an arid climate. Jesus didn't have snow. 
we live in a climate with snow. And so when somebody gets stuck in a snowbank, Jesus never probably actually, when he was on his earthly ministry, helped anybody push their car out of the snowbank. It just didn't, he just didn't do that. Jesus never did that. So when you go down the road and you see somebody that's, you know, run off the road and they're in the snowbank and you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? If you look at the scripture and you think to yourself, well, Jesus never pushed anybody out of the snowbank, so, so why should I help them? <laughs> if you follow the logic of this, really literally, right? Um, so you're trying to pick up the principles, people, of what Jesus would do. I think Jesus would help people. There's lots of examples of that, even though he never pushed a car out of the snowbank. Um, Jesus would help people. So we're looking for principles of how to live our life according to how Jesus would have us to live. Two concepts that are associated with that that are really important in Scripture are the, around these two words, and they are, first of all, maturity, and the second word is discipleship. Maturity and discipleship. Maturity is uh, this idea of moving forward or making progress or uh, becoming, move, becoming a spiritual adult rather than an infant, as the Scripture uh, describes it. Now, two passages of Scripture that are really important about this are both in the book of Ephesians, and I printed them there for you on the handout. I'm going to read them for you uh, today and ask you to underline one key part. This is what uh, Paul said to the Ephesian Christians. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers the people that uh, were in leadership, especially in teaching ministry in the church. And it says he gave them to the church to equip his people, God's people, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until, until, and this is the key part, verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith. And so when we get built up, there will be this sense of we're in this together and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. There's the key word. You can circle it. Um, up on the Heisey Hill, I think, website, I put that up um, you know, about a week ago. Uh, Bruxy Cave, you put an excellent thing up about, um, in this digital age, why you, it's good to have a paper Bible and mark it up and just attack your Bible. So if you're attacking your paper Bible, that's a word that you would circle, mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. In other words, when you become mature, you don't have to worry about these people that they're going to drop out or get discouraged or fall away because they're not infants. They're adults. They have um, some, they're, they're solid in their faith. They're mature. They're not blown around by every little wind of teaching and every kind of new idea and by the cunning of craftiness of people that are kind of scheming to deceive people. Instead, they are able to speak the truth in love. They know what truth is. And they will grow in every respect as part of the body of Christ to in, into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And then Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Follow the principles about what it means to be like Jesus. In other words, the normal Christian life is a life of ongoing spiritual progress. It's a life of moving forward. Your maturity, Paul says, is supposed to be measured by the standards of how Jesus wants you to live, the principles of how Jesus wants you to live. And when you get grounded in that, there's a, a solidness about you that we don't have to worry that, you know, you're going to drift off somewhere. We can look to you as a person that's mature in Christ. A child, I think I've told you this before, but I love this story. A child once fell out of bed 
And his mother came into the room, found him crying on the floor, picked him up and put him back into bed. And once she got him calmed down, she asked him, what happened to you? And he came up with a great answer. I think I stayed too close to where I got in. I think I stayed too close to where I got in. And I think that's a problem with lots, lots of people that follow Jesus. They stay too close uh, to where they get in. And so it's, it's this idea that Jesus loves us just how we are, and he accepts us into his, our, his family just the way we are. And that's great. But Jesus never leaves us uh, just where we are. And so if I was to come back in a few years, and five years from now, and I dropped out of sight, and I came back and were to interview you, in five years and find out the spiritual progress you made in the five years when I'd gone away, I hope you would be able to talk about how you could, you've grown in the Lord, how you're less angry than you used to be, how you're more patient with people, how you're more loving, how you're more into God's word, how your prayer life's improved. Uh, now, we expect this of people, and we desire this of, of other people. If uh, you were going to have a surgery and you uh, quiz the doctor about how many times they've done the surgery. And the doctor were to say to you, well, um, I've never really done this surgery before, but we had a unit on it in medical school. <laughs> and last night after I got home from my rec hockey game, I pulled out one of my manuals and I read up on it. So we're good. Um, the doctor that, that I have, that I go to see, uh, prides herself on being um, a person that just keeps developing herself uh, in terms of her medical knowledge. Um, she's always trying to figure out what the next thing is, and she's learning and growing, even though she's been practicing uh, for a while. I like putting my life into the hands of somebody that is a lifelong learner, uh, that has an eagerness to learn and to keep growing, and that is, that is not stagnant uh, in the way they look at their profession. I think we should look at our spiritual life the same way. The, the best life is not this life where you just kind of tail off and you peek out and you just stay the way you are. It's this life of pursuing maturity. That's the life that Jesus intends for us. That's the best life, the life of challenge and adventure. And so um, the second word that we're going to look at as we pursue maturity is uh, the vehicle to get us there, and that word is called discipleship. Uh, discipleship is simply the process of uh, moving towards spiritual maturity. That's really all it is. It's the process of moving towards spiritual maturity or moving toward becoming uh, and doing what Jesus wants us to do and becoming more like Jesus. Now, when Jesus taught about this process in people's lives, uh, there was a whole cultural context that was around uh, this process that's very fascinating the clearest presentation I've heard on this is by a man named Rob Bell, who um, a few years ago um, was teaching at a church in Granville, Michigan. He's now out in California. Um, but um, he gave a great talk at Willow Creek Church uh, on this uh, process of discipleship. It's about eight minutes long. I want to show up for you today. What he does in this talk today is he just summarizes the whole process of becoming a disciple, a Jewish disciple, um, in uh, his day that people, would, when he was talking, would have understood. And it forms a framework uh, for what we want to talk about in the second part of this message today. So enjoy this. This is Rob Bell talking about what it means uh, to be a disciple in Jesus' day. So I hope that fills in a little bit about what Jesus would have been. Um, people that were listening to Jesus would have, understand, uh, would have been understanding when he was starting to talk about uh, having people come to him and be his disciples. 
What I want to do in the time that we have left today is explain to you three concepts of discipleship uh, that come right out of Greek words in the New Testament and kind of use this as a background today to help uh, you understand that. And I think this has a lot to do with what it means to follow Jesus or to be just like Jesus in our time. So these are the three words that are involved with discipleship in the New Testament. First of all, concept number one is that the disciple was a learner, a learner. Uh, the Greek word is the Greek word monthano, which is found 25 times in the New Testament. It simply means to learn or to know or to make up one's mind to develop knowledge. It's this idea of learning uh, concepts. And so in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, uh, Jesus uses this word. Uh, Rob Bell just talked about it. Take my yoke or learn my ways and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you, become my follower and learn of me, Montano. John 15, verse 15, Jesus says, um, I have called you my friends. Uh, what I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. Same word. Second Timothy 2, uh, verses 1 to 2, uh, the Apostle Paul says, You've been taught, you've learned, and so now you are able uh, to teach others. And the emphasis here of learning is not just acquiring knowledge, but it's acquire, uh, for knowledge's sake, so you can become a really smart person. Everybody say, that's a smart person. It's this knowledge that you're able to apply to life. And so the goal of learning is that you're able to live it out or you acquire wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied to real uh, life. So you're growing in maturity and you become uh, wise. So you're learning how to live it out. The disciple, first of all, wants to become or needs to become a learner. So how do we do this today? What are the concepts attached to this, if we want to become Jesus' disciple, become just like Jesus, we need, first of all, to become learners. What's involved uh, with that? Well, there's a, there's a couple of concepts. The first one is quite simply teachableness. I don't know if that's a word or not, uh, but I made it a word and the spell check didn't come up, but teachableness. It's this idea of, uh, of being open to learning. Now, if you've ever had an opportunity to teach a youth class or a Sunday school class in the church, you can pretty quickly tell the people that are teachable in your class. There are some people that are not teachable that are quite resistant to learning. Um, when you're speaking to them or teaching any kind of a class, if they're young kids, they basically don't listen to the lesson. They fidget. Uh, they do anything else. Sometimes they talk out in the class or they talk back to the teacher. If you're a professional teacher, you know who these people are, and you have to rule or be ruled. And you know in your classroom, you have to do that if you're going to communicate, be a good, be a good teacher. Uh, people that are open to learning, though, have a posture of learning. People that are resistant to learning are sitting there like that. I'm sorry if you like crossing your arms this morning. That doesn't necessarily mean. But they have this look that goes along with it that says, impress me. I basically have been a Christian for 25 years, and I know everything about the Bible now. <laughs> And you just can't learn if you're resistant uh, to learning and you figure you've learned everything already, you've heard everything once already, and this is just like water over the bridge again. Um, teachableness means a willing pupil or a willing learner is paired with a good instructor. Uh, teachableness is a posture. It's this idea that I get to know new things and I want to know uh, new things. So uh, paired with that is this eagerness to learn, an eagerness to pursue knowledge. A person that is a teachable or wants to learn has a curious mind. They have spiritual curiosity. And so they're always asking questions. 
That's what uh, Rob was trying to say today. This Jewishness of this is that if you want to learn things, you're always asking questions. And curious people ask lots of questions to the point sometimes where they're annoying. You know, you ever had, you know, when you're a parent, you have children and they just want to ask why all the time. And sometimes as parents, we just don't want to tell them why. We just says, and so the parent says, well, just because I said so. (laughs) Don't ask why anymore. And that's okay once in a while. But if you have curious children, um, it's good to help with that and, and fuel that and give answers and engage children in dialogue. Sometimes we become resistant to becoming spiritually curious and we just spiritually curious and we just kind of peek out and we become resistant to change. Talked about Amos Welty last week and how he learned uh, to change. And I'm fascinated by uh, how people are, are sometimes so resistant to change in one area of their lives, but they look back over their lives and there's lots of things that have changed and they would say, you know, those were good changes. Those are really good changes. But they seem to be opposed to anything new that's coming along, and they've kind of given up on learning anything uh, new. Uh, You know, people tell me that when the telephone first came in, there were all kinds of people said, I'll never have a telephone in my house. I'll never have a telephone in my house. Never. That newfangled contraption. And almost all of those people have a telephone now and use it quite regularly. We adapted and we changed. If you went to a Brethren in Christ church years ago, lots of people around here that have been in this fellowship a long time will tell you that there used to be a shed probably out here somewhere at the back. I wasn't here in those days, but there was a shed out there where you tied your horses up when you came to church. And if you came into this church building, there was no bathroom. The bathroom was probably out there near somewhere near the shed. And then... You know, somebody got the bright idea somewhere along the line that it would be good to have a bathroom in the church. Now it cost us some money to do that, and we had to have plumbing, we had to put a septic bed in. It's a big hassle until you have to use the outhouse. And then you find out the hassle was worth it. We were open to that. We were were learning. We were changing about this. And those are kind of random, dumb examples. But lots of people have kind of given up learning new things in their life. They've stopped reading. I read books when I was in high school. And then I got out of school and I quit reading. They never read another book. The average Christian never reads a book, apparently. Now, you're all reading What on Earth Am I Here For? So that's great. So you've read one book already this year. Why not make it three or four this year? Uh, Put yourself in places where you can be taught. There's all kinds of great things. Now, we have the Internet, so you can listen to the best teachers of the world and go online. You can go online this afternoon and, and listen to a whole bunch of other teaching if you'd like to. You can put yourself in places where things are being offered where you can learn new skills and you can keep growing, whether that be knitting or learning a computer or whatever you're interested in. You can learn about it. And you can learn to ask good questions. It's not hard to say to your grandchildren, will you show me how to use that computer? Be patient because I'm a slow learner. You're probably not. You're probably a quick learner, but we've just kind of afraid of that box with um, buttons on it. What can you learn? What does God want you to learn? And that is a posture you take as you bring that to spiritual things because God wants to use those things to teach you spiritual truths as well. So a disciple is, first of all, a learner. Secondly, a disciple in the scripture uh, was described as a follower. So they're a learner. And secondly, uh, they are a follower. The word here is akalutheo, and it literally means to follow me. Jesus went about and asked people to follow him. Now, what you'll find that's really interesting in light of what Rob Bell was telling us today is that 
Um, the brightest and the best got asked to go on in the educational system. They would become priests and rabbis. They were the brightest and the best. The other people went into other occupations. And so Jesus goes out to find his followers, the people that he wants to be his disciples. And you find out that he goes to some very unusual places and some very unusual people. In Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, you find out he goes to visit a man called Levi. Okay, Levi was a tax collector. Tax collectors were not considered the brightest and the best. They were considered to be sellouts to the Romans because they were taxing, uh, collecting taxes on behalf of the Romans and often surcharging people to make some money on the side. They were considered to be in cahoots with the occupying force. Jewish people did not like tax collectors. Jesus goes and starts to form this band of people, and who does he ask to be part of the team? Tax collector. First guy, tax collector. This is not the brightest and the best. Then he goes to Sandra and I, uh, Simon and Andrew. And in Simon and Andrew's day, um, people that uh, had an occupation that wasn't considered the most glamorous occupation were fishermen. Um, the things that they handled all the time tended to stink. They, they, they often didn't dress as well as the rest of the people. They certainly didn't wear a suit to work. These were just the everyday people, the getting dirty kind of people in their job. Simon and Andrew, Mark chapter 1. Fishermen, Jesus says, you, you two, I want you. I've got the tax collector, now I've got the fishermen. You guys come and follow me. You're the brightest and the best. Uh, Philip and Nathaniel in John 1 were just ordinary, uh, working class kind of people. And they were curious and skeptical about Jesus. And people said, come and follow him too. And so they joined uh, the team. What you're finding here is that Jesus is calling ordinary people. In Jesus' scheme of discipleship, which was so contrarian to what the, what's happening in the day, if you were the brightest and the best, you kept moving up the food chain and you could become a disciple. But Jesus turned the whole thing on its head and said, everybody can become my disciple. Ordinary people, ordinary everyday people can become my disciples. He made the kingdom accessible to everyone, which, by the way, was why I think um, the shepherds out on the hillside, another unglamorous profession, were the first to hear about the birth of the baby Jesus. What does it mean to become a follower? Well, it means, first of all, to trust the person that you're following. Um, I have known people that have fun with people that are lost. These are not good guides. Someone comes to you for directions and says, do you know how to get, you know, let's say somebody comes outside a church today and they're coming up Woodbine Avenue and they're hopelessly lost and they stop you coming out of the church today and they say to you, I want to know how to get to Queensville. Everybody know where Queensville is? You know, it's kind of up north of here. Uh, I want to know how to get to Queensville. And you know how to get to Queensville. And you say to the guy, just keep going up here and you'll come to the Stouffville Road. Make a right and head into Stouffville. And then when you get to Stouffville, just head out through there and kind of meander around. You'll come to a roundabout and you head out to a place called Claremont. Just keep going. <laughs> Queensville is north and you've just sent the person east. They don't know any different. They trust you. They won't the next time. The word will get out. Never stop anywhere near Heise Hill Church and ask somebody for directions. They're horrible people over there. You see, when you are following somebody, 
you trust that they know where they're going to and that they're good guides for you. When you decide to follow Jesus, you are putting your life in his hands. Now that seems easy when everything makes sense and your life is all working out and you know, you're know you just in the sweet spot of God's blessing. But when something starts to go south and you start, Lord, what on earth are you doing with me? Why do you have me here? Why did you send me here? Why did you allow this to happen to me? Then you have to trust that God knows what he's doing, even in the midst of that. Trust is all about following. Uh, it's about relationship. A followership is all about relationship. It's about developing a relationship. The New Testament describes um, our walk with Jesus as a relationship, spending time with him. We live uh, in evangelicalism these days, and it's a pet peeve of mine. We, we have what I call the cult of personal devotions. The cult of personal devotions. What happened is we developed this idea of having a quiet time. This is a good thing. It started out as a good thing. And so we developed all kinds of tools for having a quiet time. The best of them, one of the best, is this little booklet called Our Daily Bread. We get them here at the church. Lots of you use them. And you can read Our Daily Bread in about a minute or two minutes. Lots of people read them early in the day, and they spend a few minutes with God. And this is called a quiet time. Christians kind of have buzzwords for this. Did you have your quiet time today? And that's kind of a mark of spiritual maturity if you have a quiet time. The problem with this, this is, you can have a quiet time for five or seven or ten minutes in the morning and be just as unspiritual as anybody else's. Because if you forget about God after seven minutes, and that's the last he'll hear from me today. So I was nice to God in the morning. I hope he'll be nice to me all day. It's kind of an exchange. You be good to him, he'll be good to you. That is not the Christian life. Quiet time is supposed to leverage you for knowing God's presence and hearing his voice all through the day. So you can talk to him at work. You can be aware of his presence if you're riding the GO train. You can be aware of his presence when you're at work. You can be aware of his presence when you're driving your car down the road. This idea of Christianity is that you have a relationship with Jesus, not just a quiet time. You should have a quiet time. It's a good thing. But don't let your walk with Jesus be just five minutes in the morning. And so a follower of Jesus is someone that develops relationships of of trust with him and then develops um, a relationship with him that does life with him. In Jesus' day, if you followed um, the person that was the person that you were seeking to be a disciple of, you actually spent time in their company. Uh, And so you developed this idea that you attached uh, yourself uh, to somebody. It was very, very important in terms of of learning to become a follower. So that leads us to the third concept that I want to talk about today, uh, which is this concept called apprenticeship. So we've got, first of all, the disciple is a learner. Um, Secondly, the disciple is um, a follower. And the third thing the disciple is, is an apprentice. An apprentice. This word is used 250 times in the Gospels and Acts. It's the word methetus, and it's the word usually translated disciple. Now, we've got a whole structure these days about apprenticeship. And if you're a tradesperson, you know uh, what that involves. If you're an apprentice, you want to become an auto mechanic. You spend so, many, uh, so much time in school going to trade school to become an auto mechanic. You have to spend so much time actually doing the trade. And you have to attach yourself uh, to someone that would be a journeyman, someone that is already an auto mechanic. This applies to all kinds of trades. If you're a carpenter, uh, Dale will tell you he apprenticed with somebody, didn't you, Dale? 
<laughs> yeah, so you attach yourself to somebody that teaches you and shows you uh, something and shows you how to do that. That's what an apprentice is. And so disciples are apprentices. Um, we find out that the disciples were used, were people that were hanging around Jesus that attached themselves to them, used this term, uh, discipleship. And they entered into this process of learning what it meant to follow Jesus. Now, what did this uh, involve? First of all, it involved cooperating with a process, and it was a process. And so when you were um, involved as an apprentice, it just didn't happen overnight. You had to take a time period and enter into this. So you couldn't just go out and call yourself an auto mechanic overnight. You had to actually enter into a process. There's so many hours that are required. You submit yourself to the process. Secondly, it means getting experience. You put in the hours that are required, and you take the time to actually learn a whole bunch of different kind of things. And so when you're an auto mechanic, you want to learn how to do the transmission. You want to learn how to do the brakes. You want to learn to do how to fix the car. And so when you're a journeyman, someone brings you their car. They know that you know how to fix it. The third part, though, was attaching yourself um, to somebody that was the journeyman that knew how to do this stuff. And that is required if you want to enter into a trade. And very much was in the background of what... Uh, Jesus was talking about. That's why they found a ra- you found a rabbi and you attached yourself uh, to this person who would show you. This process of discipleship, I think, really applies uh, to today uh, very much. You cooperate with the process. Uh, you get experience. And so you don't become mature overnight. You're working away at it and God keeps bringing new experiences into your life. And then you attach yourself to people in your life that are spiritual mentors. You get to a point sooner or later where you are a mentor yourself and you do that uh, for other people. Uh, I was on the youth builder team uh, for a year, a team of uh, ministry team. And I, we read all this stuff about becoming disciples and being mentored in ministry and all this kind of stuff. And so the, the two of us that were in the team, the two guys that were part of that team, we decided that we needed to take this seriously and we needed to attach ourselves to people that we wanted to learn ministry from. Um, and so we figured that there, you know, this wasn't going to happen easily and probably there wasn't going to be any money in it, but we needed to find ourselves someone to attach ourselves to. Um, I remember in those days very clearly going, uh, to the Stovall Missionary Church, uh, as part of, um, that team that year I was working with, uh, in youth ministry and deciding, um, that the guy that was the youth worker there at that time, a guy named Jim Klebein, um, would be uh, the person that I needed to mentor with and apprentice with. And I spent a couple of years with him. Now, there's a whole trail of stuff that's happened in his life and in my life since then. Uh, But I treasure those two or three years that I was able to attach myself and put myself in a place of learning. Bob Stover was there in those days and was, was part of that. And I remember lots of times playing ping pong with Jim. We would go and play ping pong. Uh, And talk theology and talk ministry while we were playing ping pong. He was a very good ping pong player and beat me all the time, but I got better. And we just spent lots of time together. He was mentoring me in ministry, and I'm absolutely in his debt to this day. I don't think I'd be where I am anywhere in ministry right now if it wasn't for those early days where he decided to be a mentor to me and he had time uh, for me. Who does God want uh, that you to be part of that story for somebody else? a person that you can invest uh, your life in. Part of what we want to do here at Heise Hill and what we are doing is investing in a new generation of leaders. And I think that's just so important these days. It's part of what being a disciple is all about, attaching yourself to someone and then being that for other people when it comes time to do that. 
if you don't have a mentor, it's very easy um, to, to, to get one. <laughs> Find somebody that you admire and you think has spiritual qualities that um, could bless your life. And just ask them if they'd be willing to meet with you for an hour for coffee once a month. I really think that's just the starting place. You have some things that could bless me, and I have a whole lot to learn. Would you meet with me just once a month? And I've just got a whole bunch of questions. Could I just ask you a whole bunch of questions once a month? I think the process of discipleship is really just that basic and that much of a starting point. And so a disciple is a person that is committed to lifelong learning and to being teachable. A disciple is a person that's uh, willing to follow Jesus and is willing to surrender their life to him and follow him wholeheartedly and trust him. And then the disciple is very much an apprentice, a person that's willing to enter into a process of training and learning to be mature in Christ. The promise in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which is your memory verse for this week, is this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, uh, God is working in your life. The great thing that um, you can be sure of is that God wants you to grow, and God wants you to become spiritually mature, and he's not content to leaving you where you are. Now, that can be a total pain, because sometimes I want to just sit down and be comfortable And God just keeps prodding us and moving us forward because he doesn't want us to stay where we are. He wants us to be curious, and he wants us to grow. When you read the stories of the Old Testament where God pursued someone, you'll find out that God didn't give them an out clause. So God went after Jonah, and Jonah tried to run the other way, and God came after him and said, no, you're going to Nineveh. (laughs) Sent along a whale, they threw him overboard, and the whale swallowed him and spit him out on shore, and God said, no, you're going to Nineveh. And I've found over my life that there's times when I just would rather not. I'd rather say to God, no, I just would rather not do that. I'd rather not do that. And God often will say, most of the time, I want you to. You're going there. It'll be good for you. And you'll find in this adventure of the Christian life that God keeps putting you in places all the time that are stretching to you and putting you in situations where you have to depend on him And not just rely on your own strength because he's committed to working on you and in you. And that is the wonderful thing. Because you see, the best life is not the easy life. The best life is the life of adventure that Jesus wants to take you on. And so I pray for you that you'll have a life that God continues to disturb a little bit. And that God continues to move you forward. And that God keeps working on you. And if I could sit and ask you five years from now, what's God been doing in your life over this last five years? You could say, well, I used to be like this, but he just kept working on me. And now I'm not like that anymore. I'm getting better. I used to have that habit in my life, but I've dropped that because God helped me to to let go of that. And I put some other things in my life. I used to be really crappy at friendship, and now I've got some friends that God's helping me to, to move toward. I can see where he's growing me and helping me. I hope that's your story. That's what we're going to be learning about this week. And that's what it means to become just like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today, um, again, that you take us just where we are. You accept us by your grace. 
Uh, but we thank you that you don't leave us there. And the Christian life is one of adventure and it's one of progress. It's one of development and it's one of moving forward. And that's your dream for all of us. Lord, I don't know what you have for us in the next six months, in the next year. I don't know what experiences you're going to take each of us on. They'll be as unique as each and every one of us in this room. But Lord, I do believe that you have new things for us. You have new territory for us to take. You have new adventures to take us on. You have things you want to do in our lives, and sometimes that'll be painful and difficult, and sometimes it'll just be wonderful. Whatever it is, I pray we would be teachable. We would learn to cooperate with what you want to do in our lives, and we would be wide open to what your voice would say to us, whether we're young or whether we're old. And so grant us this spirit of curiosity, a spirit of grace, and a spirit of adventure to become just like Jesus. Thank you for these people, their loving ways, and their heart for you. Bless them this week as we go out to make a difference in the world, I pray. Amen. Please stay around after the service today. The coffee's on out in the lobby. And stay around and pick up the conversation you had earlier. God bless.